Morning, Northside. How you guys doing today? Y'all all right? All right, we're getting there. Welcome everybody online. We love you. We see you and we're glad you're here too. Can you guys in the room do a favor for me though? Can we welcome anyone new or visiting today and just say, we're glad you're here. Excellent. If you are new or visiting or just exploring your faith, you guys, you are our honored guest today. And no matter what's going on in your life or how you find yourself here today, we are glad you're here. And I know God is glad you're here as well. Now, no matter who you are, I just want to say a reminder as we get rolling next weekend, September 23rd and 24th is our baptism weekend. And if you're thinking about getting baptized or that's been out there and you feel that little pull in your heart, I just want to tell you, we would love to celebrate with you. And so to sign up, you go to mynorthside.com slash baptism or out there to the living room. We got folks who would love to talk about that with you and get you prepared if you're ready to get dunked this coming weekend. That is also the beginning of fall. I, I was preparing for this Quest 52 study. I realized we're in week 37 and I realize that means fall is almost here. And for me, that means Harvest Homecoming's almost here, which means I'm gonna eat my body weight in those donuts real soon. And I can't wait for that. So we got tons of good stuff going on. My name's Matt, by the way, if I haven't met you yet, I get the privilege of leading our time in God's word together. We got a lot of work to do in our Bibles today. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna get after it. Okay, let's pray together. God and Father, we ask for nothing less than your Holy Spirit showing up and shaping our souls this morning. I pray today in your word that we would find comfort where we need to be comforted. That you would challenge us, Lord, where we need to be challenged. And God, today, by your power and your word, you would call us into an authentic faith. Lord, I know if anything beautiful is going to happen today, it is going to be by the power of your spirit moving through me. I invite that right now. Get me out of the way. And teach us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in Mark chapter 7 today. If you're a Bible person, you have one with you, you can turn there. If you got it in your phone, you could pull out a phone and you can just click. If you got the U version, you just click read at the bottom and then you go down until you see the name Mark and then it'll bring up numbers and those are chapters. And if you hit the seven, that's Mark chapter seven. I love when you guys are following along with me. If you got a Bible, but you're new to the Bible, then God put a table of contents in the front so you can find everything. And if you go to the New Testament part, you'll see Matthew and then it'll say Mark. Mark, it'll give you a page number. If you go in there and you start finding Mark and you see those big numbers, those are just chapters. So you go to Mark and then the big number seven, you're in Mark chapter seven. If you are a highlighter, a note taker, or an underliner, you are my people. I just want to let you know, if you see something that's compelling and you want to take out your phone and take a picture of it on the screen, that is an acceptable form of note taking in Jesus' name. So we're going to go to Mark chapter seven. We're going to dive into this thing together. Let's do it. Verse one, here we go. It says, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. 
Now, a couple quick ideas here. This is the second time this group of Pharisees and teachers of the law have made the 90 mile journey from the temple in Jerusalem to Galilee where Jesus is in an attempt to see what's going on and to discredit his ministry. And so they've went back to Jerusalem, regrouped, redoubled their efforts. Jesus's popularity is growing dynamically at this point. He is a threat to their establishment. These guys aren't just Bible teachers. They're kind of like lawyers, politicians. What they say goes in this area. They've got everything just how they like it. Jesus is a major disruption to that. And so they go regroup and come confront Jesus. And now they are holding him accountable for his disciples who are not or participating in these ceremonial and traditional washings. I'll explain that more as we go. Mark does the same. Verses three and four are in parentheses because Mark gives us a little commentary as to what's going on there. Verse three says this, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. Highlight it, circle it, underline it. That's important to understand. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Let me explain what's going on here. So this group of Pharisees and teachers of the law, these religious types, have these two books that they hold fast to that are not God's word. There's books back then, Bible nerds, if you're with me, push up your glasses, here we go, I love this stuff. There's a book called the Mishnah and another book called the Talmud, okay? So back here in Exodus, when God releases or frees Israel from slavery. He's walking them to the promised land and he gives them the law, okay? There's the 10 commandments that Moses had, but there's other parts of the law that you have in your Bible when you read Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy. And, and so that is God's word, God's commands. The, this law was given to Israel as a gift to help them flourish in the promised land. Now, between the time this law was given and then when Jesus walks the earth, there's all kinds of commentary about the law. Well, it says, keep the Sabbath holy. How do we do that? Well, here's 10 ways we're gonna do that. And it says, wash your hands this way or uh, you know, do these certain things and let's make sure we don't miss anything. So let's put these stipulations around it. And then here's a set of traditions and this is the way my father's father's father always did it. And we do these traditions and this kind of reminds us of old dad and we'll make sure we do everything he wanted to. But by the time you get to Jesus, this law that was originally a gift, this beautiful expression of the grace of God has been covered up in all these traditions, regulations, stipulations, and, and they just make it so hard and so difficult for common people like you and like me to get to God's heart. And if you look through the life of Jesus, which I'm sure you guys have, you would see that Jesus often went out of his way to break these traditions and stipulations and all these extra frivolous rules because one, they made it hard to get to God's heart. Two, they're not from God himself. And three, they're highly legalistic in their nature. It's the very cold religion that Jesus came to free us from. And so these 
Pharisees and teachers of the law make this journey and they want to discredit Jesus. And they say to him, hey, look, you're not doing any of this stuff. We see it in verse five. It says, so the Pharisees and teachers of the law ask Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? In other words, Jesus, what do you have to say for yourselves? Verse six, he replied, Isaiah, that's a prophet from the Old Testament, was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Highlight it, underline it. Jesus borrows a word from the Greek culture. Actors and actresses were called hypocrites. He says, Isaiah was right when he was talking about you actors. As it's written, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Here's the line. Look at this last sentence. You have let go of the commands of God and you are holding onto human traditions. Just when I think I can't love Jesus more, I get to Mark chapter 7, verse 6. I find... And I don't make too many assumptions when I'm preaching about the people in front of me, but I'm going to make an assumption right now. I'm going to assume you're a little like me. When I encounter people who claim to live a certain way or believe certain beliefs or, you know, make certain promises or say that they have a certain moral code or compass, and then I see their lives and their decisions and their actions and there is a gap between their values and codes and what they say they believe and the lives they're actually living. That bothers, anybody with me? In the, does it, anybody else bother by, this is not a preacher trick, for real. Anybody bothered by, like, like, hip- like that bothers you? Yeah. Well, I want you to know that bothers Jesus too. And that's something you have in common with Jesus and I do too. And I'll tell you why it's so powerful for us to dwell on that for a minute. Some of you know my story. I worked at this church once upon a time from about 2007 to 2013. I was a youth pastor here, which means I got your kids through their emo stage. They had those funny haircuts and all the emotions. So you're welcome for that. Um, But we then were called to San Diego where we've been church planting and pastoring and doing all kinds of things that God called us to do. And, and now we're back around here a little bit and I get the privilege and the, the pleasure of coming back to this church and just seeing what God's done in everybody's life and reconnecting with old friends. And, and I'm watching the babies having babies of their own now and the kids from the youth group get married. And, and, and I've had the privilege of re, reacquainting myself with this church. And so with fresh eyes, I've got to come here and I've, I've asked this question, you know, God just... Who is this group of people and this congregation that we call Northside Christian Church? And one of the coolest things I've observed about this place, and one of what I would say is one of God's unique blessings for Northside, is the fact that we are a multi-generational church. Yeah? Which means there are seven-year-olds and 97-year-olds who love this church, call it home, and would bleed for it if they needed to. That's a beautiful thing. 
But you guys probably know the pattern in this world is for the generations to always be bickering with one another, right? Like, you know, the old generation is like, those young people are too emotional. You know, they don't care about anything. They don't work hard. And they're always on their phones. And the young generation claps back and they say, well, they're out of touch and they don't get us. And they don't even know how to work their phones. And round and round it goes, you know, the whole thing. And, and I want to remind us here in the church, we are called to have an uncommon unity in Jesus' name. And Mark chapter 7, verse 6 is so powerful because in identifying with Jesus, we identify with one another and we're brought more close together. Jesus didn't like hypocrites. Seven-year-olds don't like hypocrites. 97-year-olds don't like hypocrites. That is not only something we all have in common with our Savior, but it is something we have in common with one another. And we allow that affinity with Christ to draw us closer together. We glorify God. And this thing we call the church looks more beautiful and different than the culture around us. Let's go back to Jesus. It says, and he, that's Jesus, continued to these Pharisees and teachers of the law. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother must be put to death. But you, you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother Corbin, that is, devoted to God, sit tight, we'll explain it in a minute, then you no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that, that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So then this time, there was this practice established by the temple. It was called Corbin. And essentially what it means is you devote something to God and that means nobody else can use it and only you. And, and when you die, it becomes a possession of the temple. And so what was going on in this time is let's say you live down the street from me and uh, you don't have a lawnmower and you want to borrow mine. Well, I don't want you using my lawnmower because you don't mow the lawn as good as I do. I got the diamond pattern going and I just can't have you, you know, and so what I would do is I would go to the temple and I'd roll my mower over there and I'd say, hey, I'd like to have this dedicated as Corbin and they would, you know, do their little thing. The mower is devoted to God. Only I can use it till I die and then the temple gets it, which is why they were so happy to participate in this hustle. Now, mowers are one thing, but what was going on in this time, in this culture, when your aging parents have no other life support other than you, as families are going and they're taking their resources and the things they have when they don't want mom and dad to take it and they're trying to get more for themselves, they would take what they have, declare it Corbin, is devoted to God, mom and dad can't use it anymore. And so in these people's midst, these Pharisees and temple goers have parents who are in need of homes, food, support, clothes, and care. And rather than helping their elderly parents, they declared what they had as Corbin leaving their parents in need. Jesus goes, I know God's heart. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And what you're doing here is a game. 
Because what Jesus or what Moses said through the law, what God revealed to Moses to us was that you are to honor your parents. You are to honor your father and mother and, and you'll be blessed as you do so. But can I tell you something? That is not what God had in mind. All this funny business and Corbin and this temple and this hustle, you know just as well as I do. You've taken God's word, you've nullified it, you've thrown it out, you got a little hustle going on. And I'm telling you, this game is going to come to an end. Now I'll talk to you about this. If you've ever read Jesus in these little dust-ups with the Pharisees and temple teachers, you'll, you'll notice that he gets pretty upset with them. I mean, it's pretty consistent through Jesus's life. Some of his biggest beefs or quarrels are with the people who are the highest up on the religious hierarchies. And he pulls no punches and he gets really upset in these moments. Maybe you're going easy. I thought Jesus was the nice God and the Old Testament God was the mean God. What's he doing now? And I'll just tell you something. If you follow Jesus long enough, you'll find one of the things that upset him most was when he encountered people playing the religion game. It's a dangerous game. And what we want to do today in our time together is talk about it. We want to understand it. We want to make sure we don't get caught playing the very cold, tired game that Jesus spent his life doing away with. Let's talk about it for a minute. The religion game is when I elevate my personal standards to the level of God's law. It is when I elevate my personal standards, okay, so my holy habits, my things that God has said to me about how I'm going to live my life, what I'm going to do or not do, what I'm going to eat or not eat, what I'm going to uh, be a part of, what, what I'm going to watch. And my personal holy habits get elevated to the level of God's law. And then I look through those habits in judgment at other people. And I say, you know what? You're not doing things the way I do them. You don't have these standards that I have. Clearly you are on the outs with God. This group of Pharisees and religious leaders take these traditions, which aren't bad traditions. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what happens is they idolize them and they start treating them as though they are God's words themselves. We got a problem. And it's a problem we have to watch out for today. Because guys, can I tell you something? I've been doing this for a while now and here's what I've noticed. Nobody just wakes up one day and says, you know what? I wanna be legalistic, grumpy, and judgmental. But come on, how many of us have met somebody they are a little legalistic, a little grumpy, and a little judgmental? And if you and I think it can't happen to us, we're next in line. This hand washing came from Exodus when the priests are commanded to wash their hands before they go in the Holy of Holies. It's a good thing. It's a way of getting right with God. But then they take this hand washing thing and they make it a law that everybody's supposed to adhere to. Guys, we have to be careful. We don't do the same thing. There's all kinds of different hot topics today, your parenting style, homeschool versus public school, the books we let our kids read, the way you dress in church, taking off hats during prayer, opinions on dancing, movies, movies what we watch, alcohol, Harry Potter, Halloween, trick-or-treating, the way you dress at a swimming pool, your social media, whether you have social media or not. There are all kinds of things that we could elevate if we're not careful and make these dividers and barriers that are not in fact God's law. And now listen, 
I am not against personal standards of holiness and integrity. I, I've got a gang of them that my family and I have. <laughs> I was laughing. We were laughing earlier this week. You want to know? This is, I don't know why I'm doing this, but it's, it's early in the morning and I'm halfway. You want to know one of mine? After 10 years of ministry in California, you know what drives me bonkers? These, these, these men and women preaching in shorts. <laughs> you cannot be sharing the word of God with your legs out, bro. I'm sorry. Like... <laughs> I can't, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know why I shared that with you right now. <laughs> but that's not God's word. That's my stupid little opinion. And I've got all kinds of those. And, and, and we have more serious ones that we, in our family about what we let the kids see and be a part of and do and where they can go and all that stuff. But can I tell you something? I will never preach one of those to you as if it's God's word because it's not. That's between me and Jesus. And yours are between you and Jesus. And when we start to impose those people on other people, we're playing a game. The religion game is when I build barriers where I should be building bridges. When I build barriers where I should be building bridges. You know, this hand-washing thing is almost ironic to me when, when you get down to it because... The Pharisees and teachers of the law, they weren't doing this like for sanitary purposes. It was to symbolize washing the dirty cooties from those rebellious sinners that you've been in contact with off of you. It was to remember you're different, you're holy. It's them versus us and we will wash off their horrible essence from us anytime we eat. And these Pharisees completely missed the fact that these rebellious sinners are the exact people Jesus came to spend the most time with. So they're telling him, hey, you need to wash these people off of you like we do. And Jesus is going, why would I wash them off when they're the reason I'm here? They missed the fact that Jesus came to build bridges, not barriers. I went to San Diego at first to do youth ministry. So uh, I was a youth pastor here for about eight years and got a call from a church. And they said, man, we'd really like to have a youth pastor here. I was like, cool, tell me about the youth group. And they're like, well, we don't have one yet. I was like, what? And, and they're like, no, that's our hope is that you could start one. There's a real big need in this city. And so San Diego's chopped up into little cities. You know, it's, it's a metro area and our city is Chula Vista and Chula Vista has about 275,000 people. And in that town, there were only two youth groups with about 150 kids at them both. It, if you do the spiritual math, that means that there is a deep spiritual need in that town for the students and young people there. And so we go there and and start out, and it was six kids at a picnic table. It was, like, different than what I was used to. But we took all the things we learned in our ministry here and started doing them there. And, and I, I, I made all my mistakes on your kids, and then I figured it out. When I got, no, I'm just, um, and Jesus starts changing lives. And he starts building faith into the hearts and souls of these children and they start growing mature in Christ and then they start bringing friends with them and those friends start experiencing Jesus and, 
and they're bringing friends with them. And all of these kids are starting to look more and more like Christ on a weekly basis. It was crazy. And we're watching miracles happen in real time. And we're figuring out what to do with all these kids who want more Jesus. And, and all of a sudden, in the middle of it all, I get this email from a parent. And the email says, hey, Matt, and with a heavy heart, I'm sending you this email. And, I, you know, it's just want to let you know that our son so-and-so will not be attending your youth group anymore. It, it has come to our attention that there are kids at your youth group that are not Christians. And, and I, I, I reread the, yeah, there's not Christians and we can't have our kid around these other kids who aren't Christians. And I just sat, I just sat there and stared at the screen. And to be honest with you, it broke my heart. Because, now listen, you have every right to protect your child from poor influences. That is your obligation as a parent. But if you're looking for a church that will be a protective barrier around your life, and you want to burn down every bridge to that church so no one else can get in, I don't think you're doing the church that Jesus had in mind. He, he came to build bridges, not barriers. And we never can forget that because it's such an easy game to play. The religion game is finally when I substitute religious activity for a heart that is fully surrendered to God. See, the Pharisees, this practice of Corbin, these hand-washing rituals were their way of creating the appearance of obedience while keeping God at an arm's distance and never allowing him to have access to their hearts. Listen to Jesus' cry back in verse 6. It says, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, they were delighted to play these games because when I play the game, I can go where I'm supposed to go, stand when I'm supposed to stand, sit when I'm supposed to sit, and the whole while I can keep God a safe distance from my heart. Now, I hate to admit this, but to be honest with you guys, this is probably the religion game I've played the most. There's been so many times when God just made it so clear there's something in my heart he wants me to deal with. He wants me to bring it to him. He wants me to sacrifice. He wants me to lay it down. And he's just so clear and kind and gentle and speaks to me through the word and through good community and my other people around me, etc. And it's just clear that that's what God wants from me is this one specific thing. And then I look back at him and I go, sounds good, man. I'll tell you what, I'll go on a mission trip this year. We'll give a little more this month and I'll be really, really sincere when I'm preaching, okay? And, and then we'll call it good. And he's like, no, Matt, I, I want this part of your heart. And I'm like, yeah, got it. We'll give a little more. I heard they're understaffed down at the shelter. I'll go down there to the shelter. We'll make sure the kids don't miss a week of church this month. We're good. And he's like, no, Matt, 
I want your heart. And no matter how many times I try to get God to play the game with me, he refuses to. Why? Because he doesn't need my hands. He wants my heart and he wants yours too. And there is no amount of religious activity that can substitute a heart that is fully devoted to God. So Jesus pulls the crowd in one last time. He says, listen to me. Listen to me. And understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And I love what happens there. Roll right into verse 16 with me. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Which means, if you've ever been reading your Bible and you've left confused, you are in good company. Because these disciples are getting it straight from the source. And they still didn't get it. And I love this too because it's so human. It means, this, this verse means that Jesus is teaching everyone. And he's like, it's not what goes, you know, into your body. It's what comes out of your body. And it's about your heart. And it's tired old religion. And, how to, and it means the disciples are like, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, you tell them, man. You tell them about their hearts. And you tell these Pharisees to go back to Jerusalem. And where they can take their regulations and put them. And we're, yeah. And they're cheering. And then everybody leaves. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, what, what, what do you mean right there? <laughs> And he, and he just, and he tells him, verse 18, are you still so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out their body. And seeing this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And I like that because I like barbecue. It says he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. And I can make this so simple for you. I, I, want you. I want you to imagine two different mothers cooking two different 10-year-olds some breakfast on a Saturday morning. First, mother chops up a beautiful fruit salad and low-sodium turkey bacon, fries it to perfection, and egg white frittata with fresh squeezed orange juice on the side. She gets out her best serving ware and sets it all in front of the child and the child just sits there kind of eating but doesn't look up from her device until she looks up at mom, rolls her eyes and says, hey, the eggs are cold. Second mother, very busy, has a lot going on, raising the kids by herself, making it all work and Saturday, so she gets out a box of Lucky Charms, paper bowl from Dixie, plastic spoon, puts the box there, gallon of milk in front of the kid. She has to go off and make sure a few emails got taken care of. But her kid comes walking into the office, taps her on the shoulder and says, Mom, thank you so much for this amazing meal. 
I watched you all week. You've been so busy and you knew this is my favorite cereal and you got it for me. I just appreciate you doing that. And I know you've been through so much, but I'm just so glad you're my mom. Like you're the only mom I would want. And those lucky charms were so good this morning. Thank you so much for that breakfast. One child is eating a lovely meal, but has a heart full of junk. One child is eating junk, but has a heart that is just lovely. It's your heart that matters. It's your heart that matters. This is the cry of 1 Samuel 16, 7. I bet some of you have heard this before. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Which leads us to our question. What makes you a good person? The answer is it depends on what's in your heart. Do you have a heart that is seeking God, sensitive to God, and surrendered to God? Or are you discreetly playing a game to keep from God the one thing he wants most. Because trust me when I say there will come a day when all the games are over. Now, I understand this is a very confrontational teaching. It's challenging. But I just want to remind you every challenge from Jesus comes wrapped in an invitation. And so maybe this morning, you're challenged. You're challenged to be a little less rigid with some of those standards you've been clinging on to. I just want to remind you, that's an invitation. It's an invitation to live and walk and love like your Savior did. Maybe for you, the challenge is for you to do the hard work of lining some parts of your life up with the things you believe. Because truth be told, there's been a disconnect. And that can be a frightening proposition, but I just want to remind you that's an invitation. That's an invitation to live in authentic faith. Do you know what happens when you do the scary work of lining up your life and your beliefs, people are drawn to that. When you live a life that lines up with the things you believe, that's the kind of faith your children are gonna to wanna to repeat one day. They're gonna look at what you had and they're gonna want their children to have it one day. And you know, finally, some of us might be challenged to make that sacrifice, to, to make a real change. And you've been white knuckling this part of your life that you don't wanna lay at God's feet. And I wanna tell you, I understand how frightening that can be. But that challenge to let go is an invitation to encounter God's love his acceptance 
and his forgiveness in brand new ways. My friends, may we lay down our religious games and embrace the God who made us, who knows us, and who longs to walk with us in authenticity every day of our lives. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, go to work on us. Not just today, not just as we drive out of this parking lot, but this week, Father, we invite you to bother us when we're playing the game. Father, I pray that you would empower us as your church to apply what we hear today, to not settle, but to go running wholeheartedly into what you want for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Peace.